Well, this is a, a big Sunday, and I, I'm not just talking about the Chiefs and Cowboys, by the way, although I'm ready for it. Um, but this is the third week, and it's our final week in this current sermon series. We've been turning our eyes toward Jesus and away from this constant barrage of things that take our attention, that turn our attention away from him. You might remember that in our first week, the author of Hebrews reminded us that we, that, that Christ is our high priest, that he died once and for all for the forgiveness of our sins. Last week, we were in the book of Daniel, and we saw visions of a victorious Christ defeating death and raising us all up from dust into eternal life. And so this week, we're going to turn our eyes to Revelation and to Christ the King, the King of Kings. And that's appropriate because this is Christ the King Sunday. This is the day where Christians the world over turn their eyes to the one true King who rules our hearts and our lives. Finally, Today is a big day because it's the last day of the Christian year. And if you, you might know that the liturgical year, I said this before, begins with Advent and looking toward Christ's birth and ends as we prepare for the experience, and experience the eternal reign of Christ in heaven and on earth. Which brings us to this beautiful hymn of praise that opens John's book of Revelation. You'll find it in Revelation 1, verses 4 through 8. And here is what John says. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us to be a kingdom, priests serving his God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look. He is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And on his account, all the tribes of the earth will wail. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we look to you today. You who have been since the beginning, who will be at the end of time, you who are with us today. We need you, Lord, each and every one of us. So speak to us. Give us a word to bring us closer to you, to lift us up to help us to see you as our king. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So at this point, I should probably add that any day that a pastor is called to preach from the book of Revelation is a big day, especially for the pastor. 
Because I think of all the books of the Bible, I'm thinking Revelation has the most baggage surrounding it. It's a big, confusing, at times terrifying, controversial letter slash prophecy slash apocalypse slash something something sitting at the end of our holy book. Not a lot of people who have read it have understood it, <laughs> but a lot of people have opinions about it. Thankfully, for this pastor anyway, we're only talking about four verses. So, and they're just four verses from the very beginning, but I think it's helpful to set kind of the stage. So, just so you know, Revelation was one of the last books written in the New Testament, probably around 90 AD is what most scholars think. And it was written originally as a letter to be read aloud to a community of Christians who were spread around Asia, into Africa, and even Europe. It was written as a letter to be read aloud to people who were alive when it was written. Also, Revelation is one of only two books of the Bible to be classified as what we call apocalyptic literature. And in fact, the very first word of the book of Revelation is the word apocalypsis. Apocalypsis which means an unveiling or a, an uncovering. Something is revealed. Apocalypse is what we get our word apocalypse from. And actually the title of Revelation, Revelation is just a translation of that word to reveal. We read the one other apocalyptic book in the Bible last week. Do you remember what that was? Daniel. Yeah. At its heart then, an apocalypse reveals something to its reader or its hearer about the, both the present time and the future. And typically those revelations, those things that are revealed, are revealed by otherworldly beings to a human being. So for Daniel, you might remember those otherworldly beings were the angels Gabriel and Michael. Thank you. I just wanted to hear my name. And angels also speak to John in Revelation, but so does Jesus. And we heard last week that Daniel spoke about both real and historical events, but he also revealed things about the end of times, and the same is true for John's book, Revelation. Both of these books were written during times of struggle for their original audience. People, the people were in difficult times, and so John is writing to a group of Christians who were being persecuted by the Roman Empire. They had seen what the Romans did to the center of Jewish life in Jerusalem when they burned down the second temple. For the second time, the Jewish people saw their temple destroyed. And while the early Christians originally considered themselves to be part of Judaism, this was steadily shifting. shifting. And so for Christians at the time John was writing, they were in the midst of sort of an identity crisis, right? Who, who are we? Are we Jews who follow Christ? Are we Christians? Are we still part of the Jewish people? Add to this the fact that they lived under rulers who demanded that they conform to the Roman cult and culture first and foremost. And you can see why John was writing to a people in crisis. In fact, John himself, when he was writing this, was living in exile on the island of Patmos punishment for his outspoken Christian beliefs. And so like Daniel, Revelation shows us what it looks and feels like for a people to live with the pressure to conform to a society that is at odds with who you are. 
Revelation shows what it looks like for to live as a people, as a community, and to live in a community that is hostile to your beliefs. And Revelation shows us what it looks and feels like to struggle to hold on to the person that God created you to be and the person that Jesus called you to be. So, in fact, both this week and last week, I did something that I do from time to time, and that's I just sat back and I listened to the book of Daniel, and this week I just sat back and I listened to the book of Revelation being read to me. This is one of my favorite streetlights, if you ever check them out, if you like a good beat. Um, it's a great way to listen um, to Scripture. They've put out um, most all the New Testament, and they're working through the Old Testament now. They have an amazing audio version of, of Revelation. And really, that's how both of these books were meant to be experienced. Revelation was meant to be heard. And what's more, it was written to be heard in one sitting. You would come and to worship with your friends who followed Christ with you, and you would hear the book of Revelation, the letter of John read to you in its entirety. And as I listened to Revelation, I realized that one of the, the hardest parts of Revelation, right, is all the images from like four through the end that, that are hard to understand, right? We don't quite get them. And, and I think the, the danger actually with Revelation is we try to decode it. We try to decode the book of Revelation. And what I realized listening to it is these images, these wild images are are much more powerful to me anyway, as I just let them wash over me. As I didn't try to figure out what each and every image meant, but it just washed over me. And really not so much washed over me as assaulted me at times. It became like an onslaught of dragons and beasts and angelic beings and horsemen and pestilence and desolation and tongues like swords and fire and famine. And it was dizzying and confusing and I got easily lost in all of these swirling images. And I started to wonder, imagine that's how Daniel, around his, about how his original audience felt as they experienced a difficult life in a difficult time. The world seems to just swirl around them in dizzying speeds and changing speeds. I imagine that's how John's original audience felt as they experienced a difficult life at a difficult time. Because I know that's how I've experienced life sometimes. Have you ever been in the, midst, in the midst of your life and it feels like everything's just swirling and you can't hold on to what you're seeing? I mean, just think of the last couple years. It's been an assault of images that I never thought I would see. Things I never thought would come to pass. And it's been so dizzying and confusing. I felt lost on more than one occasion just trying to take in what I'm seeing. Has anyone else felt that? in your lives, like especially in this age of visual media, there are days where it feels like we're being assaulted by images that our brains cannot comprehend. No wonder I think so many people these days feel drawn to try and tie what we are literally seeing and not making sense of to what John was seeing in his visions so long ago. As I remember seeing images of planes crashing into buildings, my brain, the first time I saw that, could not make sense of what I was seeing. Fires in the streets of our suburbs, communities underwater, rows of children in masks sitting in school, games played in empty football stadiums. If that's not the book of Revelation, I don't know what is. Saviors worshipped in empty churches. Who thought a time like that would ever come to pass? 
How does our brain make sense of that? I think sometimes it feels like we're assaulted by images and things our eyes weren't made to see and our brains weren't made to comprehend. And we can feel lost in this world trying to navigate what we're supposed to believe, who we're supposed to listen to, how we're supposed to behave, and who we're supposed to be. Thankfully, Daniel and Revelation do something very similar, I've realized over the last week or so, and that's that they ground us before they send us off on these dizzying journeys through images and sights and sounds. They ground us. Daniel begins, you remember, with the stories of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel, followers of the one true God who managed to hold on to their faith somehow remain true to the people God created them to be, despite the difficulty, the confusion, even the hostility around them, despite the threat of death. They held on to who we are. And, and, and we're shown that right up front at the beginning of Daniel. It's as if before being shown the terrifying visions of the unknown, we are being told through these four young men that others have made it through. And others have stayed the course. Because God is with us. We're grounded in their triumph. Similarly, at the beginning of Revelation, we get the verses we heard today. Right off the top, the most hope-filled, beautiful, life-giving, poetic descriptions of Christ our King. So that at times when the world is in chaos, when life feels and looks like the latter parts of Revelation, when it feels like we're losing when the temple is destroyed, it feels like God is losing. We can hold on to that description of Christ that we got at the beginning, that description of God. When we think John is talking about us now and we're not sure who we're supposed to follow, when we can't tell a false king from a real one, we can always recognize the king of kings. Here's John's description again. It says, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. It's as if John is reminding us, this is the same God that told Moses, I am that I am. I am, I was, I will be. And I'm here with you through it all. God is still in control. And God is still with us. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth and Christ, the faithful witness. The Greek word for witness, by the way, becomes our word martyr. And we are called to be witnesses. That sounds nice, right? <laughs> we are called to be martyrs not so nice. <laughs> but thankfully, Christ paved the way. He is the firstborn of the dead. He is the first to die and rise again into eternal glory. He is the resurrected Christ, and we will be his resurrected princes and princesses, his resurrected people. Christ is the ruler of the kings of the earth. And here's where you start to hear what got John exiled right? In a culture where the emperor was the tops, 
where all knees bowed to him first and foremost, John held Christ to be above all earthly rulers. He witnessed, he martyred himself by showing allegiance to the king of kings, the one who rules even over Caesar. And then he goes one step further to him who loves and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom. Priests serving his God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We say this, right? For thine is the kingdom, not Caesar's kingdom, not the president's kingdom, not the bishop's kingdom, not the pastor's kingdom, not my kingdom, not chief's kingdom, or raider's nation, right? Or America's football team, hashtag not my football team. <laughs> but above all else, we belong to whose kingdom? God's, Christ's kingdom, even if living like that makes us all martyrs. And even some days when it feels like his kingdom is not here, not now, we're told, look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And on his account, all the tribes of the earth will wail. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end and everything in between, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty Christ, the King. These are beautiful words, life-giving words, hope-filled words, that there is one who is above it all, who rules over it all, who is in control, but it's hard, I think, to hold on to Christ as our king in a world that is constantly pulling us in different directions. It's hard to stay the course when the landscape keeps shifting underneath our feet. It's hard to hold fast to our allegiance to Christ when we are bombarded with political parties, with ideologies, with religious entities, corporations, and peer groups all demanding our allegiance. It can feel like we're Daniel or Meshach or, or John and his fellow Christians who are bombarded with images, ideas, and earthly leaders pulling us this way and that, and we're trying to hold on to the one kingdom that we're all a part of. Some of you might remember there was an ad campaign. Man, I think it's like, I'm old, so it feels like yesterday, but I'm sure it was like over a decade ago. But there was this ad campaign put out by Dove the soap people. And it was a few years ago, and they were trying, it was targeted at young women and their, their parents trying to push back at the unrealistic, the damaging beauty standards in our culture that, that, that tend to pull, especially young women, down. And they produced a video called Onslaught. And as a parent, it's, it's stuck with me all these years. It put some kind of fear into me. And it, it, it's, it's touchy, and I went back and forth on whether I should show it. It was shown on TV, but I didn't know if I should show it in church. But I edited it <laughs> to make it slightly more church appropriate. Um, but as I was listening to Revelation and the onslaught of the images that we get in that book and in Daniel, 
the onslaught of images that we get in our culture, I couldn't help but get this video, this ad campaign out of my head. So we're, we're going to watch it. It's about 50 seconds or so. You can see why I went back and forth about whether I should show that in church or not. As a parent of a, of a young woman, of a daughter, it's frightening to think of the onslaught of what the world is telling us, who the world is telling us we should be and how we should look, the ways that the world distorts images of beauty and we begin to distort ourselves in response. And I couldn't get that images from this campaign out of my head as the images from Revelation and Daniel were flying at me in much the same way, dizzying and confusing, and I can't hold on to anything. And sometimes I feel like the world is like that. Like we're living in this increasingly frenetic, frenetic onslaught of images and sights and sounds and ideologies and theologies and isms of capitalisms and socialisms and conservatisms and liberalisms and buy this and do that and worship this and pretty soon we're all drinking the Kool-Aid. And we, we forgot the body and blood. Drink this in remembrance of me. We get pulled in so many different directions and we don't even realize it until we're too far in it. And pretty soon we forget about the body and blood of the one who loves us, John says, and freed us from our sins by his blood. Unlike Daniel and his friends, I think we let go too easily of our identities as believers in the one true God and who God created us to be. Unlike John, we're not maybe really willing to risk exile by staying true to the ones that Christ called us to be. And we forget who our king really is. We forget whose kingdom we belong to. We forget that there was a time when we really did believe what we pray when we pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when we pray for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, when forever who was and who is and who is to come forever and ever. Which ultimately is why this day is such a big day. Because it's so easy to forget who we are. And who we follow when we're bombarded by alternatives every minute of every day. That's why we come to church on Sunday, right? So that at the beginning of every week, we can turn our eyes away from all that other junk. Back to Jesus. To reset. And on this day, Christ the King Sunday, we need to turn our eyes back to the King of Kings. The one who unites us all and away from the earthly kings that serve to divide us all. And after a week of, of hanging out in Revelation, and man, it's hard, man. I wanted to decode all the cool visions. I, I wanted to pretend I'm like Dan Brown or Tom Hanks and I'm trying to figure out the Revelation code. But really, I think these first four verses say it all. It might be the most important verses in the entire book of Revelation because they ground us. 
They give us the one to hold on to. They bring us back to the only thing that matters. And so I want to ask you to say them with me, that we might turn our eyes together. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us to be a kingdom, priests serving his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look. He is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And on his account, all the tribes of the earth will wail. So it is to be. Amen. I am Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is the word of God spoken by the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen.